Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. It's easy to think of doubt as a sign of weak faith, but it's not. God isn't afraid of our doubts, so we don't have to be either. Each year, many people walk away from the Christian faith because they don't know how to deal with their doubts. In this message, we'll examine the benefits and dangers of deconstructing or renovating your faith and discover how we can take steps in Jesus' direction in spite of our doubts. With that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nate with part two of our Doubting God series, Leaving Christianity. Well, if you were not, if you were not here with us, last week was Easter, as Jace already mentioned, and uh, during our Easter uh, message, we kicked off a brand new uh, message series called Doubting God, okay? Now, the title, don't let the title scare you. What we're actually talking about is how do we deal with our doubt, and, and one of the things I said last week was that all of us in our journey of faith, whether you're at the beginning or whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, all of us will experience moments of certainty. You'll just know, God loves me, I'm forgiven, he's with me. You'll have moments like that, and they're amazing, aren't they? But then we'll also experience moments like David did, where we cry out to God and we're like, God, where are you? Something happens that we weren't expecting, and we just go, I don't know what to do. So in this message series called Dealing with Doubt, what we're actually talking about is we're actually talking about how do we deal with our doubts. When I was a kid growing up in church, the overarching message that I received Don't know whether they were actually teaching this or not. The message I received was, don't doubt, just believe. It was like almost a blind faith. It's like, if you have questions, just don't even ask them. But what we're trying to do in this message is create room for each of us to wrestle with the doubts and the questions we have. And what we're learning is that faith isn't the absence of doubt, but faith is actually the willingness to to walk towards Jesus and and to move in his direction in spirit of our doubts and fears. And that's what I'm trying to encourage everyone uh, to do as we go through this series. So um, last week, Easter was awesome. I believe we had five people that made a commitment to follow Jesus and took a step, which is amazing. Awesome. I'm so encouraged by that. And, and, and we want to we help those people. And those are just the ones that let us know. I want to see those people taking their next steps and growing in their faith. I don't know about you, but that, that's amazing. And, and what's cool is that all around the world, every week, there are people coming to faith in Jesus. It's amazing. But you have to know that even though every week there's people coming in the front door of the church, every single week there's also people going out the back door of the church. And so today I want to talk about, and the message is titled, Leaving Christianity. Okay? And I want to talk about this because you all know this, some people leave. Some people have faith and walk away. Um, and we could argue about whether those people actually had faith and people, oh, they're backslidden. They could come up with all kinds of things. But let's just set all that aside and say, why do people leave Christianity? Why do they go out the back door? Well, some Christians, um, actually, they're not actually leaving the faith. They haven't had a crisis. They just, what I call drift. It's like, it's like your January 1st gym membership. You pay for the membership, you got a plan, you hire a personal trainer, they give you some lessons on how to use the equipment, and then you're tired after work. And you didn't have lunch, so you just don't feel like it. And something comes up in your life. And so it's, it's not that you don't want to, you have aspirations and intentions to grow your muscles. It's that you've just drifted. And so a lot of Christians just aren't in church, they're not involved, they're not giving, and it's not because they don't believe they should, it's not because they have this crisis, they're just drifting. That's a whole other message series, Okay. What I want to talk about and who I want to talk to today are people 
who have either left the church or who are considering leaving their faith behind because, because of a crisis, because of a doubt, because of, of something that has, you've been wrestling with and you haven't been able to uh, figure it out. Uh, over the years, I've had a chance to talk to a lot of people. I've been a Christian for over 40 years, which is crazy. And I've talked to a lot of people who have said, I, I'm questioning my faith. I'm leaving the faith. I used to be a Christian. And I, I'm usually asking them why. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of different reasons but I'll tell you this, there's always a story. And I think this is really important for us to understand. There's always a story. And, and there are a number of things. I'm going to share the same list that I shared with you last week because we're going to be covering some of these in the series. But one of the reasons why uh, some people say, well, I left the faith or I'm doubting or questioning my faith is because they have questions they can't answer. You with me? It's like, I, I just, I don't understand. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I uh, take science and the Bible and how do those two work together? We're actually going to talk about that in a few weeks, right? Or, or you, you come to, and you're like, I just don't understand how God could say that or do that. So you have these questions you can't answer and so that becomes an obstacle. Uh, secondly, you have situations that seem unfair. Maybe you're trying to do all the right things and serve and honor God and someone you love gets sick and you're like, why? I don't understand. This isn't fair. Why me? Uh, that's a reason why a lot of people leave the faith. And lastly, hurts you can't resolve. I think one of the things that I, when I talk to people who have left the faith, often um, they experience hurt in the church. So we're actually going to talk about that in coming weeks as well. What do we do when Christians have hurt us? What do we do when church has hurt us? Sometimes people go to the hospital to get help and they get worse sick at the hospital, right? That does happen. And sometimes people come to church trying to meet Jesus and get the help they need. And some well-meaning or not well-meaning Christian hurts them. So what do we do with that? Okay. And unfortunately, many people feel the only option they have is to simply walk away from their faith. And uh, what I want to encourage you to do if you're wrestling with doubts, if you have questions, is just to take another look. And that's what we're doing throughout this series. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Now let me set the stage for this before we read it. Okay, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus, uh, he's uh, actually just found out that his cousin and friend John the Baptist has been killed. And he goes away to be by himself to grieve and the whole crowd show up. And Jesus ends up having to preach. And heal. And then they're starving. And so he turns to the disciples and says, you feed them. And he makes all this food. And then at the end of the day, it's getting dark. And he sends the people away. And he actually tells his disciples, I want you to go across the Sea of Galilee. Go to the other side and wait for me there. They're like, okay, Jesus. They get in the boat. They start heading across the sea. Jesus goes up on a hill to be by himself. And he prays. It's nighttime. Must have been some moonlight. The disciples are heading across. What the scriptures tell us is that they were, they were sailing into a headwind. I don't know if any of you have been sailing before. But if you're trying to go in the direction that the wind is coming from, it's really hard. You end up having to zigzag, zigzag, zigzag. So the disciples are out there zigzagging across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is watching them from up on the hill. And the waves keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's a storm coming up. And what's going to happen is they're actually going to be stuck out on the boat in the middle of the sea with this huge uh, storm with waves. And I think there's a metaphor here. So let me just share. The metaphor is like, sometimes we experience storms in life. You with me? It's true. It might be a health storm. It might be a relationship storm. It might be a financial storm. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we think that if we're experiencing a storm, that it's, that it's like, that it's because we did something wrong. But in this case, these disciples are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They're going where he told them, and even though they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, they're where they're supposed to be, there's a storm, okay? And what I think is so cool is as we, as we move into this story, let's look at in verse 25, it says this, it says, in the fourth watch of the night, 
which is the last, you know, the darkest part of night before the dawn. It's like that last two, three hours right before. And it says, in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. So they're in the midst of a storm. The waves are crashing over their boat. They're trying to get across and obey you. And in the midst of the storm, Jesus is going to show up, which I think is cool because that's what Jesus does. He shows up in the midst of the storm. And then it says this, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. It's probably what they sounded like. And they cried out in fear. And I love the fact that it says this because, again, what this tells me is that the disciples had a healthy dose of skepticism. The, remember, many of the disciples were fishermen. They spent their lives out on this sea. They were used to this. So they're like, this is a bad one. The boat's rocking, and they see somebody walking on the water. And this must have been, I'm assuming, the first time they had seen someone walking on the Sea of Galilee. And when they see it, they're not like, oh, it's Jesus. He's coming to save us. They actually scream, it's a ghost! And they're terrified because they assume what we assume. It's probably a ghost. Because <laughs> who else could do this but Jesus? And so they cry out. And then it says this in verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So Jesus calls out to them from the, from the wind and the waves and he says, it's, it's me, don't be afraid. And then look at verse 28. Verse 28 says this. And Peter answered him, Lord... If it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. Now, maybe you've read this story before and you're like, oh, yeah. Who says that? Like, as I looked at it, I'm like, is that what, if I was out on the water and the waves are crashing over the boat and all of a sudden this person scares us and we're like, who is it? And he's like, it's me. It's Jesus. I would be like, hey, come get in the boat. Come save us. What are you doing out there? How are you doing that? Like, these are the questions that be going through my mind. But that's not what Peter says. Peter looks at Jesus out there and he's like, if it's really you, tell me to walk on the water too and I'm going to come to you. It's like, I don't know how he came up with this, but that's what he says. And, and look at, this is so audacious. Then verse 29, Jesus simply says, come. He's like, you want to come to me? Come. <laughs> so Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water and came to Jesus. So that's, that's what it says. Okay, it just says Jesus, or Peter got out and walked to Jesus. Now, I want to try to reenact this, how it goes in my mind. Okay, because the text just tells us he walked on the water. But I'm going to fill in some blanks. So we've got, we've got sound effects. We need some crashing wave sound effects. So we'll get those, okay? You guys all know what the crashing waves sound like. So they're out in the boat. If it's really you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. So Peter is probably, he's on the boat. Remember, the boat's rocking and reeling. The waves are crashing over. Everybody's getting wet. He turns to the disciples, probably says something like, guys, I'm going to do it. And they're like, yeah, Peter, you're always talking about it. Why don't you just actually do it? So then it says he gets out of the boat. But I don't think he like leapt out of the boat. Would you? He probably did one of these. You know, he's on the front of the boat and it's going up and down. And he's like. And then he gets one foot down, put a little bit of weight. And then he gets the other one down. He's holding on to the boat, going up and down, of course. He's like, I'm going to do this. And then he starts to walk. He starts, the waves are getting quiet. They should get really loud. So anyway, he starts to walk. He's walking. So he's looking at Jesus. I'm looking at the people on the live stream. He's looking at Jesus. And he's like walking towards Jesus. And of course, we think he's like. But of course, have you ever seen waves? You ever been on a boat in waves? He's probably like. And he's looking at Jesus and he's walking towards Jesus and everything's chaotic around him. Now, there's this moment that's going to take place right here. Somewhere between leaving the boat, his comfort zone. Peter spent a lot of time in a boat. That's where he was comfortable. And Jesus, that's his aspiration and faith is Jesus. And somewhere in the middle, Peter has a moment that I like to call the what am I doing here moment. Like, he's like, I'm doing it. I'm, what am I doing? 
It says that he saw the wind. You'll throw that up on the screen for me. He saw the wind and it says he was afraid and began to sink. So somewhere in here, he had faith in Jesus and he was looking back and all of a sudden he begins to doubt and he begins to sink. Blub, blub, blub. Right? Waves are crashing over. Now in this moment, I'm going to jump back up on the stage. In this moment, as he is struggling with doubt and beginning to sink in his doubt, he's got two options. One, try to swim back to his comfort zone, to where he was. Or two, to call it to Jesus. And I love what he does. It says this in the next. He says he cried out to Jesus and said, Lord, save me. He cries out to Jesus. And I know the, the waves and the wind all just calm, but actually in the text, they haven't calmed down yet. It's okay, you don't have to put them back. Because I want you to hear this, okay? It says this uh, next. Says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him saying to him, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? And he lifts Peter up. So he's having this conversation with Peter out on the water, in the waves, everything's still crashing around them. And Jesus is like, this is a teachable moment. And then it says in the next verse that when they got into the boat... The wind ceased. And, and, you know, as I think about this, I've read this story. I've heard this story when I was a kid. I remember seeing it on the flannel graph. And it was like waves. And then like Peter's walking and Jesus and all that stuff was going on. And I, as I look at it, you know, there's, there's two ways that we can look at this story. One of these stories we can look at is that, hey, Peter's faith wasn't strong enough. Peter failed. We could make this story about Peter's failure. Or we could make this story about Peter's great step of faith. And I have one simple point that I want to make as we continue in this, and it's simply this, that it is easy to criticize. Can we all say that together? It's easy to criticize. And don't elbow the person beside you like, I knew you should have come to church. This is a perfect Sunday for this. Right? Because honestly, some people think criticism is their spiritual gift. They really do. They're, they're like, hey, you want me to tell you what's wrong with this church? I can tell you. I've got a list. It's on my phone. Let me just pull it up. Right? If you want me, I can tell you what's wrong with my husband. I can tell you what's wrong with my parents. I can tell you what's wrong with my boss. Man, the government, well, let me start. Where do I start, right? So it's like, we, we, just th- it's, we forget sometimes that it's easy to criticize. It's easy to find fault. And so even in this story, as we look at it, it would be very easy for us to be like, well, Peter, oh, you, Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. But can I remind you of something? Jesus actually taught that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is so small you can barely see it, it's a tiny speck, you can move a mountain. So the fact that Peter had any faith at all is actually an encouragement. Secondly, we could, we could be uh, critical of Peter and be like, hey, you only got halfway and you sank and you had to have Jesus save you. But if Peter was here, he'd be like, I, I didn't see you walking on the water. <laughs> he got out of the boat, man. He, he moved in Jesus' direction. And when he started to sink, guess who he called out to? Jesus. So it's, it's easy to criticize, but in fact, it's an example for us. And, and, and Jesus asked this question in verse 31. He asked the question, why did you doubt? My wife always tells me that the way you ask a question really matters, right? Because this, again, depending on the tone, it's like texting, right? When you text somebody, you message somebody, um, the tone doesn't always come through. So if we read this, why did you doubt? Then, then you're like, okay, Jesus is really incriminating Peter for being faithless. But if he said, Peter, why did you doubt you were so close. You were moving in the right direction. Why did you, why did you take your... So you just see the difference? And so the question is, is, is Jesus in this moment, is he incriminating Peter or is it an invitation to a deeper faith? I think it's the latter. Jesus is like, man, that was so close. Let's go. Let's do it again. Come on. Keep moving in my direction. 
I want to remind you what we said last week, that doubt is not the enemy of faith. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. Doubt is an invitation to trust Jesus, no matter what you're going through. So, again, we're talking about leaving Christianity. So I want to talk today about a word that maybe you've heard if you've been around church a little bit. Um, lots of people who've been wrestling with their faith, having doubts, having questions about their faith, are, are using this term today, this term, we call it deconstruction. Okay? How many of you have heard the term deconstruction? Okay. Now, there's a, a philosophical way that it's used about literature and all that stuff, but we're talking about deconstruction of your faith. And, again, it's tricky because with any word, people use it in different ways. For a lot of people who say, I'm deconstructing my faith, what they mean is they're questioning the things that they were taught. Maybe they're questioning orthodox teachings. Maybe they're questioning the role of the church, the organized church. Lots of people who tell me they're deconstructing their faith often say, I still believe in Jesus. I read the Bible, but I'm questioning parts of it. I don't attend church. I've disconnected from from church in general. So that's often how it's used. And so I want to talk a little bit about this idea of deconstruction. I think the first thing I need to tell you is this. Deconstruction, if done appropriately, can actually be helpful and beneficial. It's not all bad. So there's a healthy way to deconstruct things in your faith, and there's uh, an actual dangerous and bad way to deconstruct your faith. Let's start with a definition of what healthy deconstruction might look like as we question and deal with our doubts. Deconstruction. A sincere examination of your beliefs, seeking to let go of what is untrue so you can hold on to what is true. If that's your definition of deconstruction, I say have at it. In fact, that's what Christians should be doing all the time. When Jesus showed up, he actually did this in his sermons. He wanted to take people's view of God, their view of religion, and he wanted to deconstruct false and wrong views of God and reconstruct it in a new way. For example, yesterday morning I was cooking pancakes and I was listening to the Sermon on the Mount on my phone. It was like playing in the the kitchen. And I was listening to the words of Jesus and I thought, oh, look at this. Jesus is, is deconstructing our faith. He says this in Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And everyone in the crowd's like, that's right. I feel a witness. It sounds good. They're like, yes. And Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He's flipped it on its head. And everyone listening, just like us, would have to wrestle with that. Oh, man, that means something about my faith is, is upside down. And I need to deconstruct it. I need to change it. Um, we know from church history, many of you have heard of a guy named Martin Luther. Right? Martin Luther is one of, the, one of the reformers of the church. And again, if you don't know the story of Martin Luther, then you may not know that Martin Luther was actually part of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. He was working within the church, and he's studying the scriptures. And what he noticed is that through the centuries, the, the Roman Catholic Church, as it was in his day, had added all of these doctrines, had added all of these things that were not biblical, and some of them were actually anti-biblical. And so he saw all that, and his goal was not to start a new church. His goal was to deconstruct some things that shouldn't be there and to reform it, to change it, to make it better. And so he goes and he posts his 95 thesis on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, basically highlighting all of these things that he saw within the church that he thought needed to change. And it was only after that the church wouldn't accept some of the changes, and some of them they have actually made since, but regardless, when he saw that they wouldn't, he continued um, to lead churches in a new way. So, excuse me. I'm alive. I'm good. Um, so I just want you to see that throughout church history, this is, this is normal. It is normal for, for us as Christians 
to question some of the things that we've been taught, to question some of the traditions that were handed to us. And as we're going to see today, what we need to do is go to the scriptures and examine them and go, what is true? Keep it. What is not true? Let it go. That is a healthy view of, of deconstruction. Now, as I was saying, there are some healthy things that happen. When you deconstruct your faith in a healthy, healthy way, it actually helps you to have a deeper faith. Like if you just believe everything you believe about God in the Bible because someone told you, and you haven't actually asked the questions and searched out the answers and sought God, like it's just a bunch of stuff that you've been told, but it's not yours. But when you wrestle with your faith and you come out the other side with a stronger faith, do you, you see what I'm saying? So that's actually really beneficial. It also helps you to remove human tradition and to remove wrong beliefs and correct errors and all that stuff. Some of you have heard the phrase, um, eat the meat, spit out the bones. You guys heard of that? Think of like a nice rack of ribs. Some juicy meat on there. Sorry if you're a vegetarian, but the rest of us, there's juicy meat on there. And you, you want to eat that juicy meat, but guess what? You better not swallow that bone. My dog did once, and somehow he survived. But you don't, want to, you don't want to eat that bone. So there's some stuff there that you, you shouldn't ingest. You should like, yeah, I'm taking the good, and I'm leaving the bad. I'm taking the good, and I'm leaving. And we need to approach our faith that way. What is true? What is right? I'm taking that, and I'm going to leave human stuff. I'm going to leave error, and I'm going to set it aside. So healthy deconstruction is good. But let me give you a few warnings. Number one, don't let deconstruction become destruction. I got a bathroom. I'm still planning to renovate some of you. Like, how is it going? I haven't started yet, but I'm going to get to it, right? It's like a New Year's resolution. It just keeps getting pushed to next month. But when you want to renovate, and actually, I like the word renovate better than deconstruct, don't you? Because deconstruct is like you're swinging a sledgehammer and tearing stuff down, but renovate is actually like you're tearing stuff out to make it better and to replace it. So I like that word a lot better. I would say we should renovate our faith. So, you know, that gold bathtub from the 1980s that's still there. You want to take a sledgehammer and take that out. And then you want to take out the tiles behind it. And then maybe take out the toilet and replace it. But if you're not careful, sometimes we start having so much fun with the sledgehammer, we start tearing down the walls and the roof of our home. <laughs> That's called destruction. Years ago, my, my dad had a... Uh, oh, yeah. So this is, this is the back wall of the church building. Um, they actually took the whole back wall off because it was structurally unsound. And so they're, but they, notice they didn't bulldoze the whole building. And sometimes when we find something that's wrong with our faith or we have doubts or we go, hey, there's an error in the church. Sometimes we just want to bulldoze everything. That's destruction, not renovation. And, and that's not what we want to do. We can take that down. My, uh, my brother, years ago, my parents had a Subaru Justy. For the guys, three cylinders of power. Four-wheel drive, this little, this little car. And, uh, and my brother decided, my dad took it off the road, and my brother decided he was going to um, he was gonna restore the car. So he started taking it apart. And then he decided to restore the car in the basement. So he took it down into all the parts, put them in boxes, brought it all to the basement of the house. And then he moved away. <laughs> and my dad had to carry the car out piece by piece, never to be reconstructed. And again, sometimes we can be so zealous to get rid of stuff that we just tear everything apart and we just do more damage than good. You with me? That's the warning. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Here's the other thing. Uh, questioning one thing can lead to questioning everything. And sometimes um, this happens a lot to kids raised in church. So when they're told, like, you know, all the stuff about how the earth was created, and they're told the Bible stories, and they go off to college, university, and their professor goes, hey, 
the earth's three billion years old. The Bible says it's only 6,000 years old. Like, your Bible is wrong. And they're like, oh, and their whole faith, like a, it's like a, like a house of cards, comes tumbling down because someone questions the age of the earth. And it's like, what? Questioning one thing doesn't mean you have to question everything. I heard this story about this little girl, and she went to school, and her teacher said, you know, it's impossible for someone to be swallowed by a whale, Jonah, and to survive for three days. And the little girl says, it's totally possible. It's in the Bible. And he's like, no, it's not possible. It's not scientifically possible. She said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And the teacher says, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? What if he's in hell? And she said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) It's good, right? Uh, But sometimes, honestly, sometimes it's like, (laughs) sometimes it's like, there's like this question that comes up and it's like, oh no, I don't have the answer to the question. I say, That one question, that one thing that you don't have the answer for doesn't mean you have to deconstruct your entire faith. One bad Christian, one bad leader shouldn't cause you to doubt Jesus. And that's what we're going to see. Jesus is the source of our faith. He's the one that we're moving towards. So here's a question. Where do your beliefs come from? I want you to think about this for a second. The beliefs that you have about Bible, about Jesus, about God, where do they come from? And and I know most of you are going to want to say the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Like, my views of God came from here. And that's partially true. But I would probably make the case that many of the beliefs you have about God and about faith actually came from the church you attended or your parents or the friends you hang around with or the youth group or the culture around you. And I don't think, I don't think we recognize sometimes how much the, the environments we're in actually in, impact our faith and the filter through which we view our lens. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the way that your parents voted impacts the way you read the Bible? I do. If Jesus were here today, do you think he would vote liberal or conservative? <laughs> Green party. No, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to get political. I'm just saying we, we view the Bible through our political lens, through our cultural lens. Do you think that people living in, in communist China read the Bible the same way you do living in Canada? I don't think so. And so we have to understand that like, one of the reasons why we need to renovate our faith is because sometimes our faith in God and our faith in Jesus and our beliefs about the Bible have been so impacted by our parents and our culture and our teachers and everything else. So it's worthwhile to explore and to question some of these things. Okay. Now, um, I want to talk about, if you'll allow me, I want to share some of my own church experiences. As I said, I have 40 years in the faith, and I grew up attending a lot of different kinds of churches. Like, like the, the tongue-talking, handkerchief-waving, all that, to the churches where everyone like sat and said nothing, and Brother Rigamortis came to the stage and said, Good evening, everyone. We're going to lavish our love upon Jesus by sitting silently. I kind of went, I've been to them all. And, and it's going to sound like I'm criticizing, because again, remember we said it's easy to criticize. It's going to sound like I'm criticizing, but what I want you to understand is my experience attending all these different churches, different forms of worship, different theologies, is that in those churches there were people that loved God and were doing their best. And that there was community and love there in spite of errors. And so one of the things I had to learn as I was growing up is I would see, I'd go to church and be like, why do they do that? And nobody had an answer for me. And so I'm personally questioning, deconstructing. But I would take the meat and spit out the bones. I didn't, I didn't allow it to cause me to lose my faith. I just, I just walked through it. So can I, can I share a few with you? 
I'll start with the crazy ones, right? The charismatics are the crazy ones. I love my charismatic brothers and sisters. Um, I'm one too. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that people say, you know, they'll say, oh, I went to this charismatic church and it was crazy. <laughs> and can I just say, uh, if your goal is to keep weird out of church, most of us probably shouldn't be here either. It's true. But again, I remember I was trying to explain to Mish, uh, our children's director at the office one day, what a fire tunnel is. Anybody know what a fire tunnel is? Okay, we've got, we've got a few hands going up. Thank you. Yeah, so a fire tunnel in, in some charismatic churches, they'll actually line up a whole bunch of people, like, like a tunnel, and they'll make a tunnel. And then you go through, and they all pray for you while you go through. And people come to church. If we had a fire tunnel here at the end of service, people would be like, that's weird. I'm out of here. Fair enough. But then I was at the Pete's game the other night, and I saw all the hockey players all lined up, making a tunnel, and they're slapping each other on the butt as they're going by, and everyone's paying to go watch that. Like <laughs> like maybe we're not so weird at church after all right and then of course you got you know in church and just like you're gonna offend people listen i'm just talking about as a kid i'm watching someone running around the church with flags and i'm like that's interesting i don't understand it but it's interesting and there's nothing wrong with it right so this whole thing then i go to the pete's game and they're skating around the rink with flags it's like okay it's not that weird i think i think i'd take a little crazy over boring any day i don't know about you guys but that's (laughs) No wonder people are leaving the church and going to sports. It's just more fun sometimes. I remember there was this thing called Holy Spirit laughter that went through the church. Some of you will remember that, depending on the stream of church you were in. Like, literally, people come to church, and the preachers start preaching, and everyone just start falling over laughing. And as a teenager, I'm like, this is the best. This is because normally I come to church, and I know everything that's going to happen. And all of a sudden, all this weird stuff's happening. I wish, if only we had phones back then. Oh, I would have some footage to show you. It was a good time. So, but again... In the midst of all of that, God was working through people who had real faith, who loved Jesus. That, that's what I want you to understand. And then, let's translate over into weird rules. So churches often have weird rules. We were having a conversation about this in our small group, right? It's like Christians can't go to movie theaters. Some of you are like, what? I'm leaving. I'm out. I'm out. That's... But this, in certain sects of Christianity, it was like movie theaters were off limits. And as a kid, I'm like, okay, I guess if bad things happen at movie theaters, which it's not really the thing... But like I'm thinking, man, if bad things happen in movie theaters, I guess that makes sense. Maybe it's because they don't want to watch the movies with all the content. But then all the Christians would rent the movie on VHS and watch it in their homes. I'm like, what is going on here? What's wrong? And then I went to a Christian camp and we pulled out a deck of cards and let's play some crazy eights. And someone said, you can't play cards. Why not? And they're like, cards are linked to gambling. I'm like, we're not. I don't even know how to gamble. I'm trying to play crazy. But as a kid, I'm looking at this. I'm going, I don't, I don't understand I was questioning, and maybe some of you actually, weird rules, weird things happen at church, and that's why you left your faith, because you couldn't figure it out. Uh, Then there was, um, oh, by the way, I would say this, that so many of those things are actual cultural specific, right? No dancing, church, no dancing, which is weird, because in the Bible, David danced. In the Bible, the Jewish people would dance. They'd have weddings, and they would all dance. They had their Jewish dances, which are really cool. I can't do them. Uh, And they would have all these dances, and... But for us, growing up in the church, it was like, no dancing. That's actually one of my regrets is at our, my wedding with my wife, I didn't get to dance with her because we were like, we don't dance. So then after we got married, we took ballroom classes. We still can't dance. So, but it was, it was like, yeah, we're free to do this. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't dance with your wife. So anyway, I'm just trying to say all of these things that, that end up, and they're actually, they're actually cultural. They're actually, there's all these reasons for it. Uh, like taking your hat off when you pray. I was taught, man, I, w- I worked at a Christian ranch. 
And if they started praying and you had your hat on, it was like someone would whack, they'd whack it right off your head. They're like, disrespect. And I asked them one time, I'm like, what, what's with the hat thing? It's a sign of respect. I'm like, yeah, but what's the tradition? Like, explain to me why I can't wear a hat. And nobody, nobody actually had a good answer. Well, you know, we sh- it's disrespectful to God. And then I studied the Bible for myself. Jewish men, when they went to pray, they would cover their heads with a yarmulke as a sign of respect, showing they're under authority. And they would take their prayer shawl and they put it over their head and they would kneel and pray before God. And we're like, get that hat off. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's, I think the reason, I did some research. I don't know how, I don't know how good Google is, but um, I did some research. And apparently it was from like, you know, the old, like the Western days. They would be out on a cattle drive and their, their outer coat would be covered in you, all kinds of stuff. And their hat would just be dripping with mud and dirt. And they would come into a home and they would take off their hat and they would take off their coat. That's the best I could figure out. And I'm like, that makes sense. So I'm all for it. And if I go to a church where everyone's like, no hats, I'm just take my hat off. To this day, I can't pray with my hat on. It's like, I'm just like, all right. It just, it's been beat into me, even though it doesn't make sense. It's been beat into me. So I'm just trying to say, these are, these are things. People actually run, get run out of church for silly things like this that really, really don't matter. Um, I could get into dress code. Women aren't allowed to wear pants in church, only dresses. I don't know where that came from. One church said no makeup for the women. You know, they're trying to look too beautiful. All the men left. They brought the makeup back. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'd do. Um, when you actually look at the Bible, the Bible actually doesn't say much about dress code at all. Like, the Bible teaches modesty, right? Covering yourself up so you're not, like, flaunting your body or causing someone else to... The Bible talks about maybe... When I was a kid, they were told me I had to wear a suit to church. And I was like, Why? Show me, because I'm like, where is it in the Bible? And they say, well, when the, when the children of Israel came to the temple, they brought their best. And what that meant was they brought their best animals, their best produce. They brought their best to God. I'm like, that has nothing to do with clothing, right? And, and so again, like as a kid, as a kid, I knew enough to go, this doesn't make sense. And so, and then I remember as a, as a, like in my early 20s, wearing this like old ratty suit. It was gross. And I'm wearing this suit to church because that's what you're supposed to do. And then... Someone told me, you got to wear your best. And I thought, my best is a $100 pair of designer jeans that I bought and this nice button-up shirt. And I'm like, that's what I should be wearing because if I was going somewhere special, that's what I wear. So again, sometimes we lose sight of the big picture. We get into all of this crazy stuff. I don't know if this is helping or hurting anybody, but I could go on all day. We get into music styles. Somewhere along the line, churches had had this big fight over whether they could replace the organ with an electric keyboard. It sounds funny today, but maybe there's still churches that are fighting over that. Like, it's like, what do we do? Heaven forbid they bring drums into the church. Because I was told in the 1980s that drums and the beat and the rhythm, the boot, boot, that's that's a halftime, cut time thing. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. That the rhythm was like connected with like African voodoo worship. And that if we brought drums into the church, we'd basically be putting a big sign on the door saying, devil, please come in. I'm saying this because, again, well-meaning people trying to live out their faith. There needs to be room to wrestle. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to get to the heart of the issue of what's really, really going on. It's not about all that stuff. I could go on all day, but I won't. It's easy to criticize. I could, in fact, I could criticize Pathway Church. You want me to do that? <laughs> no, I won't do that. But here's the thing: people are like, "Well, I think Pathway should do things different." I'm like, "Me too. Me too." 
Criticizing is easy. Trying to find the right way forward is hard. And we need to have room for, to wrestle. We need to have grace for one another. In all of the churches that I attended, whether they were really staunch traditional or whether they were wild, there were people who loved Jesus and were taking steps in his direction. There was something for me to learn about God. There was something for me to learn from the scriptures, from those people. And you got to learn to eat the meat and spit out the bones. You with me? Is this making sense? Helpful? Hopefully. If not, send an email to my wife. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've heard the expression, don't throw the baby out with the bath water. That's, that's essentially what I'm talking about. I never really understood exactly what that meant until we went to Lang Pioneer Village. And the lady explained, they had this basin in the house. And she's like, this is the basin. The whole family will bathe in it. They'll warm up some water. They'll fill it up with the water. And the parents would usually bathe first. So dad, mom, whatever. Older siblings, the baby would get bathed last. It just, it just shows how much our culture's changed, right? Today, it'd be like the baby goes first, parents go last. But no, no. The baby would go last. And she said, sometimes the water would be so dirty, you couldn't see the baby in there. Which is why the expression came up, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because again, in an effort to get rid of this dirty water, you might be throwing out something of great, great value. And I think, as we approach doubts, questions about silly things the church does, things we've taught that maybe aren't true, it's so easy to just throw it all out. I want to encourage you not to do that. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's something uh, good there. There's something of faith and of Jesus there. So here's the question I want to close with. And I think I'll ask Jace to come up and accompany me here. But here's the question I want to ask. Um, How do we deconstruct? I'd actually rather that say renovate our faith in a healthy way. And and I think the answer to that question, because you go, okay, what do I do? You just kind of like killed a whole bunch of sacred cows for me, Nathan. What do I do with that? Um, How do you deconstruct? How do you renovate your faith so that it's true, scriptural, lasting? And I think that the answer is you start with Jesus. Let me explain why. Um, It's easy to say go to the Bible and formulate everything from there. But I really believe that if we're studying the scriptures which are God-inspired, one of the things we need to do is we need to start with Jesus. It's easy to get caught up in controversy around some things that Paul taught about the church, about women, about leadership. It's easy to go back into the Old Testament sacrificial system and Leviticus and get offended. But if you start with Jesus, you see, Jesus actually came and he said, you know, he said to the religious leaders that you're searching this And you're trying to find salvation in here, but all of this points to me. If you want to understand the sacrificial system, if you want to understand Paul and the the early church and the things of the Spirit, all of it flows through me. And so, if you're not sure, if there's stuff in the Bible that really offends you, just start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the words of Jesus. Listen to them over and over and over. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to get a glimpse of the heart of God because Jesus reveals the Father to us. He is God made flesh. And so as you read that, you're going to be like, ah, and it's going to give you a filter and a lens through which you can read and interpret the rest of the Bible. Start with Jesus. Are Christians going to do things that offend you? Yes. Are churches going to do stuff that make you go, what? Yes. But we're not, we're not here for tradition. We're here for Jesus. That's why we're here. And I want to encourage you to move in his direction, to cry out to him. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. It's an invitation to a deeper faith. We know that Peter um, doubted God on many occasions. We just read about it. He was in the water. 
Jesus like, why did you doubt? Jesus denies Jesus three times on the night that he's betrayed. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter doesn't believe. And yet Jesus comes to Peter on the beach after his resurrection. And while they're sitting and having breakfast, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. He says, do you love me? You know I do. Do you love me? Three times he asks him. And three times Jesus says, if you love me, then feed my sheep. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that in 1 Peter 2.25, some 30 years later, Peter writes these words to the church. He says, for you were straying like sheep, wandering, drifting about. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter's like, that was me. And I came to Jesus. And he invites you and me to trust in Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's the one we turn to. And so I'm going to, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I just want to invite anybody here who says, man, I have doubts, I have questions, I'm still figuring stuff out. If that's you, we're going to, we're going to pray together. And maybe if you're here and you're like, no, man, I'm, I know what I believe. And, I, and what I would love, I'm trying to figure out how do we connect those two groups of people? The people who are struggling and need someone to walk alongside with them and then those who are strong in their faith. How do we get them together? Because we're a church, right? It's good to come and sit. And one of the ways that we can do that is, is through Alpha. Alpha is starting next Sunday during our second service. It's six weeks. We're doing a shortened version. But if, you're, if you have questions, if you're new to faith, if you're returning to faith and there are things that you just need to talk about, it is the perfect place. We have great leaders in place. There's great curriculum. And so instead of coming into the second service, you would go to a room and have snacks and talk and, and walk through this together. And one of the most powerful things about Alpha is, is not just like, hey, if you're new to faith, go there by yourself. The best thing is like, hey, you're new to your faith. Can I go with you? Can I walk through this six-week journey with you? Can I be somebody that you can lean on and talk to? That's my hope. That's what I want to see happen. Um, if you're interested in Alpha, please go to the welcome table after and talk to somebody. Um, you can send us an email. We really want to, we want to get people into this. It's an incredible place. So with that, let's pray together. Um, Father, I pray right now for every person listening to the sound of my voice. I know there's a story, and every person in this place could tell their story of faith, their story of doubt, the questions, the hurts. And I pray that after all that stuff is removed, would you help us to move in your direction, to trust you, to start with Jesus. I pray, Lord, that nobody would leave this place and just start bulldozing their faith, but, Lord, that we would, we would take one piece at a time and bring it to you and say, is this true? Does this align with the word of God? Is my interpretation of the scriptures correct? And if it's not true, we would move it away and replace it with what is true. I pray, Father, if there's anybody here who, who has, still has questions and doubts, that they would reach out. They would take a step like Peter, get out of the boat and start moving towards you. Maybe that's sending an email and saying, I want to join Alpha. Maybe it's reaching out to someone of faith and saying, will you mentor me? But that people would take a step today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.